Good morning, good morning. We uh, are on a slightly different schedule today. We're going to start at 9, because we've got an extra speaker this morning, and I'm really excited. Most of you know that we've been going through uh, the book of Acts, looking at the travels of the Apostle Paul. And when I set this out a couple years ago, this whole series, I prayed for different people to be ready at different times to insert themselves into the lesson so that the right message could be brought. As I was getting ready the speaking schedule for this five-week series, uh, Ashley Yeager, way better statue, uh, emailed me, and we had started to contact each other about her coming to talk to our Sunday school class because she's going on a missions trip. And I thought, you know, we've got five weeks, so we've got uh, we've been in Acts for five weeks looking at the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to have Ashley come on up and uh, talk to us this morning about her mission trip that is upcoming. So let's welcome her this morning. Uh, like Mr. Fleming said, I'm, I'm Ashley Jager, and um, I'm a student at Tennessee Tech, so I'm a member at Stuart Heights, but if you don't recognize me, that's probably why my face isn't around here a whole lot. Um, but I'm here today to tell you guys about an opportunity I have this summer to go on a six-week mission trip to New Zealand. Um, but before I get to uh, exactly why I'm going on the mission trip and uh, why I want to go, I feel like it would be so helpful for you to just know what God's done my life in the last four years. Um, so... I think my life right up before college could be summarized well in my senior year of high school. Um, just from the world's perspective, I had a lot of things going for me, and it seemed like everything was put together and really perfect. Um, I had sports, grades, reputation, the boyfriend, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so those pictures that you see up there, that's whenever I was Bobby Victorian and homecoming queen. And you guys probably know the good-looking guy to my left in the homecoming picture. That's Richard Floyd. Um, but so coming into college, that's what my life looked like. And then uh, slowly, in God's perfect timing, love, and discipline, he started taking those things from me. And then two months into college, I kind of found myself on my knees with what felt like nothing. And uh, he just wanted to tell me that, hey, you know, your whole life you've been living for your own glory and not my glory. And so I can't let you continue that way in my name. So I just kind of realized, like, wow, okay, all of those things have no eternal value. <laughs> uh, if I really want to be truly satisfied, it's got to be Jesus. And so my life kind of 180 at that point. And uh, the next one, I met a girl named Rachel Hooks my freshman year of college. And Rachel was on staff with Campus Outreach, which is the ministry that I'm going with this summer. And basically for a living, she would go into the freshman dorms and uh, just meet girls randomly and make friendships with them with the intention of sharing the gospel with them. And next thing I knew, I kind of found myself under her wing and she showed me just what it means to actually evangelize and study the Bible. and pray and all those things. Um, so then my summer rolled around and I was like, okay, this is awesome. I'm going to go home and do nothing for three months. Um, and Rachel just kind of challenged me and she was like, hey, if you are serious about growing your relationship with God, if you want to know how to do these things, how to study the Bible, how to share your faith, how to pray effectively, all that stuff, you'll go to this thing called Summer Mountain Project, um, which is in Pigeon Forge. It's a 10-week missions project put on by Campus Outreach and they teach you all those things. Um, but I wish I had more time to tell you guys, but in short, I went there the last three summers, and at the end of this summer, it just seemed like evangelism and discipleship just started to click, like things just made sense, and started to become more natural. Um, I wish that you guys could actually see me sharing my faith the first few times. It was awkward. Um, I just kind of was like, well, here's the gospel, you know, what do you think about that? Do you want to hit me? Um, but really, like... <laughs> 
uh, God just kind of showed me, like, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. That's not the way Jesus did evangelism. It can be naturally you just ask questions and help people realize, like, wow, I am actually sinful. Um, or in evangelistic terms, I'm really bad. Um, and everything I do and desire is bad. And the only way I can be even holy and righteous with God is Jesus. Um, he's got to be Savior and Lord. And so um, I just kind of learned those things. And uh, my ministry on campus, like French Little Ministry, is in the dorms. But this is what it looks like now. Um, I go to the freshman dorms kind of like Rachel Hooks did. Um, she's no longer at our campus anymore, and so no one was laboring in those dorms. And so um, God just laid it on my heart to go there. And the girl that you see there with me, her name's Brianna. She's one of the girls that I disciple. Um, and she basically just comes alongside me and sees how I do ministry, and we go in there and we make friends with girls um, and just build trust through relationships. And then, uh, yeah, start sharing the gospel with them. And so... We started an intramural team with them. And the girls are kind of intense. They wanted to name it Bloodbath and Beyond. But, yeah, um, they're all about winning. And so with that team, we started an evangelistic Bible study. Um, and this year alone, uh, four girls came to Christ. Um, and that's not to mention the number of girls that were Christians coming into college and got plugged into our Bible studies and um, the church that we go to there. And so if you're a parent, you probably understand how important that is. Um, but I want to tell you about one girl specifically, the one at the top left. Uh, that's Her name's Sarah, but we call her Ace. Um, and that's me with the mustache. You can ignore that. Uh, but Ace, she uh, she just came to Christ uh, over the Christmas break. Uh, we went to a Christian conference together. But in January, she was kind of sitting in front of me. And long story short, um, she was just explaining to me that she would talk to me the whole fall semester about Jesus. And then after we would hang out, she would go and party. Um, and she just started explaining that, okay, as I was partying a whole lot, things just started to lose their luster. And she was like, last week um, I was partying, and for the first time ever, I just felt guilty. I didn't want to do it anymore. She was like, can you explain that to me? And I was like, yes. And so basically what had happened was she had come to Christ, and the Holy Spirit was living in her and actually started convicting her. Um, and God had given her a new heart, so her desires had changed. While her flesh was still wanting to party, and there was something in her that wanted to love and know God more, and it was winning victoriously. So um, that's kind of what life has looked like on the college campus now. Now with those girls in the Bible study, and I meet with them weekly, and we get in the Word together and pray. Um, and then even with Ace, she just came from the party scene. Um, it's just given me an awesome foothold into the party scene with those girls, and so we've been able to share the gospel with her friends and things like that. But New Zealand this summer, um, really everything that is going on on the college campus now, I'll be doing in another country. Um, this is um, on the University of Otago's campus. Campus Outreach started a ministry there four years ago, and so they're really young, um, and so we'll be coming alongside some of the young believers there and sharing our faith on the campus just with their friends. Um, so, really, the hope is that those young believers will become laborers, so that when we leave in six weeks, there's still people there sharing the gospel in New Zealand, um, and then just to help out their ministry and encourage them. And then uh, another role that I have is there's uh, five of us going, five girls going, and so I'll be leading those girls while we're there. Um, and these girls have solid relationships with God. They probably don't need me at all. But my role there is just to actually encourage them in our mission and make sure that they stay focused on our vision throughout the whole summer because we only have six weeks and I don't want to waste a day. Um, so 
checking time. Okay. <laughs> but, and I also just want to grow in my own world vision and know how to adapt and share the gospel in a different culture. Um, and if you know anything about New Zealand, Christianity is kind of generationally deteriorated there. It's like if the grandparents would go to church and be really involved and the parents were kind of in and out of church, now the kids that are my age um, don't go to church and don't care about God. Um, and so if you look at our country, that's kind of where we're headed. And so I think that it'll be even beneficial seeing that and coming back and hopefully turning the tides some things for my generation and my future. So um, that's what I'll be doing in New Zealand and where I want to go. So I appreciate you guys just listening to me because I feel like it's really important that if you want to support something, you just actually know what it is you're supporting. So thanks for letting me talk. Acts, starting chapter 25. If you want to turn there. Okay. I'm not Jim today. I don't have an iPad, but I got my pad, so. And I need my glasses to read it. Um, that's a little bit loud. He's taking care of that. How many are if only kind of people? You think about, man, if I'd only done this, I'd not said that. Um, I'd not. Anybody like that in here? I think most people are. There's some that are just not like that. Um, um, I'm always thinking, you know, if I'd have just, you know, done this and, and, and the right, the right way we can use that to motivate us. Um, when, when I was a teenager, I had a great aunt that was in the hospital and I knew God was convicting me to go talk to her. And I just couldn't. And I don't know if she saved, got saved or anything, but she died. I never saw her again. And it motivated me to later when my grandfather was in the hospital, as scared as I was to talk to him and witness to him, got saved. And we can use these some of these, if only I had done this, to motivate us to do something different the next time. Some people just aren't like that. Um, my son, my teenage son, is not at all like that. I, I, I mean, he is very laid back, mellow. Um, I was with him alone one time, and I said, you know, kids are always like, you know, I want this, I want this, I wish this would change, I, you know. And I was sitting down, I was talking to him, I said, is there something, if there was anything you could change in your life, our, where we live, go back to an old place we live, your brothers and sisters, uh, things that you have, don't have, what what would it be? And he, he stood there and he thought for a minute and he goes, nah, I'm good. And I was dumbfounded with that. I'm like, really? You're good? That's it? Um, that's how he is. Some of us are kind of wired that way. I think from what we can glean from scriptures, Paul was kind of like that. Because he never looked back with any regrets, with any, oh, if I'd only done this. There's no indication of that whatsoever. He was always looking forward and moving forward and doing exactly what God had called him to do. Um, at the time that we come into Acts chapter 15, Paul's been in prison for two years now. He's been in prison because a riot nearly started with people, Jews, wanting to kill him, and he got arrested. And he stayed in prison for two years because the governor didn't really know what to do with him. So he just kept him in prison. So 
through this whole thing, I want you to note we're we're gonna breeze through four chapters as fast as we can. And through the whole thing, there's no mention of God did this and God did that. And all the passages passages we've been reading over the past year, year and a half, it's always telling us about what God did. And there's none of that here. But if you're really looking, you can see God's hand on many things that are going through here. And that was one of the things, the Holy Spirit, that kept him focused, kept him, uh, held him up through this. The other thing was his focus on what God called him to do. Now, who can tell me what you think uh, the call of, of God was for Paul? What was, he, what was his calling? Anybody? Gospel to the Gentiles? Church planning? In Acts chapter 9, Scripture tells us, here's what God called him to do. He was to bear my name, that's Jesus, before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That's all of us. That's the Great Commission. Who's that leave out? Gentiles and Jews. Well, there's nobody else. That's everybody, right? And that's what we're supposed to do. Same as him. Great Commission. To take the gospel into all the world. So, so he stayed on that focus his entire life. The last part of his life, most of it spent in prison. He, a lot of his letters written from prison. And you don't see him saying, if I could only have done this. He's constantly encouraging. He's constantly teaching. He's constantly preaching and telling people about the gospel. And he stayed on that focus the entire time. Very faithful man. We come to um, Acts chapter 25, verse 1. Now when Festus had come to the province after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. And they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the, the road to kill him. He's been in prison these two, two years now. The previous, the predecessor to Festus, a guy named Felix, wasn't sure what to do with him. He just left him in prison, trying to get favor from the Jews. Festus, as soon as he arrives on the scene, the Jewish leadership go to him and they say, you need to bring him down to us. We, we want to um, we want to tell you what he's done. Bring him to Jerusalem. He's been up in Caesarea um, a good while, Roman city that Herod had, uh, first Herod had built, and um, no Jews live there. He's been staying in that place. Um, come down to verse 7. He says, they say, we want you to bring him down. He says, no, why don't you come up? And when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, that's to Caesarea, stood about, laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. They've had two years to get their story together, to get some commitment, to, to get it right, to get some people to agree. And they come before this new guy that's never heard the story, and they can't prove a thing. Anything worth the Roman government the Roman man in charge, Festus here, to charge him. He's been in prison. Roman law says you have to charge someone for a very short time and if and very certain laws that weren't weren't dealing with death or what have you, you couldn't hold them more than two years. He's been in prison over two years now. 
and they still haven't charged it. So they give their story. Festus hears it. He wants to take them down to, um, um, he asked Paul if he would go down and, and confront his accusers with him in his presence in Jerusalem. Paul, of course, he knows they want to kill him. And he appeals to Caesar. And and Festus says, okay, you want to go to Caesar? That was his whole right as a Roman citizen. Um, if he's charged against something, that was their appeal process. You take it up the ladder. Well, in this case, the next step was to go before Caesar himself. Um, so he, he opts to do that. And uh, Paul doesn't want to be martyred. Um, he still believes he knows that God's called him to do something. In fact, two chapters back, if we look in Acts chapter 23, God says, I am calling you to go before and give the gospel to those in Rome, to the house of Caesar, to others in Rome. So God has already told him where he's going. So God's got a plan for him, and um, the Roman government's going to pay for it. So this fourth missionary journey is on behalf of the Roman government, and they take care of it. Um, we come down to um, verse 13. It says, after some days, uh, let's stop real quick. He's been there for over two years before Festus comes. Festus hears the charges. He still doesn't know what to do with it. And he's going to tell us exactly why this is going through this process. King Agrippa is who we're talking about coming into verse 13. It says, after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. They've been there many days. Festus laid Paul's case before the king. King Herod Agrippa, his great-grandfather, was the one that killed all the babies trying to get rid of the baby Jesus. His grandfather is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. His father is the one who killed James and several disciples from the early church. Okay? We got a good um, line here coming to this man. Now, this man and his sister, Bernice, are having relations together. Secretly, although everybody seems to know about it. So, Paul confronts that at one point, or someone confronts that here. And, uh, um, Here's Herod Agrippa. He's someone who's actually, unlike his predecessors, he's actually studied the scriptures, uh, the Old Testament, and he knows them. Okay? He's a little bit of authority. And he comes before and Festus is like, there's this guy I got. You got to hear him. I don't know what to do with him. And you need to hear a story. And so he brings Agrippa, Bernice, and others of his court together. And he starts telling them about him, and down verse 18, when the accuser stood up, they brought no accus accusation against, against him of such things as I supposed. Festus is telling the story, okay? This is the governor here. But had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. That's the gospel. Best, Paul's already told Festus the gospel, and he's repeating it. And he's telling Agrippa. So he brings them before uh, the next day Agrippa, Bernice, and all those come together. He tells a story. Um, 
So Festus uh, says down in verse 25, But when I found that he had committed nothing, deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Talking about Jesus. I'm talking about um, Caesar. Therefore, I brought him before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. He absolutely has no idea what to do with Paul. All these people have made accusations. Nothing is, nobody's agreeing. Nothing is really chargeable as far as Roman law is concerned. And so he's like, you listen to him. You see what you can come up with. Because I don't know what to do. And so he's heard the story. He's heard the gospel. He's repeated the gospel. Um, but he has nothing. He's already made an appeal. He has to send him to Caesar by law. But how do you send him to the guy in charge of you that's appointed you here? Because he would have been appointed directly by Caesar and say, well, I have this guy, but I don't really know what he's charged with. You do something with him. He can't do that. So he's looking for answers. So we come to... Um, chapter 26, and Paul starts telling a story. He talks about his upbringing. He talks about his training. He was a Pharisee. He talks about how he persecuted the Jews, um, or not the Jews, the early Christians, because it was contrary to what he believed that Scripture was all about. Um, he's, he, he basically, he's witnessing, again, to this king, King Agrippa, um, and that was his calling to the Gentiles, to kings, and to Jews. So he's he's standing before a king here, and he's witnessing. He tells his his whole story. He tells goes down starting in around twelve, and he starts talking about his conversion, the Damascus Road. We did a whole lesson on that in a study. Um, the bright light comes. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he ends up getting saved. So he's telling that story. Then he tells what happens directly after that, coming down to around 19. Um, after he got saved, he goes out. He starts telling people, this is, this is what happened. This is the change. And he's telling them people need to repent. You need to turn to God. Turn to Jesus and die for your sins. He's telling about Damascus. He's talking about that in Jerusalem. We've talked about that as he goes out farther to be in the Gentiles. We've talked about the missionary journeys. Paul's relaying all of this to, to King Agrippa. And um, he says down in verse 23, he says that the Christ would suffer that he'd be the first to rise from the dead and re would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. The reason why Jesus came and he shares the gospel very plain very succinct. And then Festus speaks up. The very next verse, Festus says, um, as he made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, verse 24, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Festus has heard the gospel quite a few times. Later. He knew it enough to be able to share the exact thing that Paul, Paul shared with him in previous times. But I think he's past the point. He said, I rejected that. It's ridiculous. No one likes it. 
And a good missionary will know when to stop. Yeah, he still wants him to get saved, but there's somebody God's still dealing with. I still want him to be saved. I still want to pray for him. Paul probably still did. But he turns and he, he explains he's not mad and he says, um, he turns in verse 27, he says, King Griffith, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. It's very ridiculous. What you say makes sense. I've been there with people when I talk about in Israel and other places, but I can remember specifically in Israel, he said it really makes a lot of sense. But, so Paul knows that the Spirit's working on him. Turns off the vessels and focuses on him for a little Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also you hear me today, might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for this change. These chains. He said, I want to be saved. I, I, I want you to be saved. I want you to know that Jesus died. So they break up. No, no decisions are made. It gets a good chance to witness before these leaders. They break up. Griffin and Festus and the others pull aside. And Festus is looking for answers. He doesn't know what to charge with. So he, that's why he brought in Agrippa to start with, right? So after Agrippa hears all this, here's his response to Festus. Verse 32. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this, mind, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Agrippa said, um, well, he's appealed to Caesar. He's, he's your problem, not mine. Um, you'll have to deal with him. He's under Roman law now. Completely under Roman law. He's like, I, I don't know what to tell you either. Okay? Do with him what you think is right. He gives him no help whatsoever. So we come all the way down to uh, chapter 27, and Paul sets out for Rome. They put him on a ship, verse 1, says when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, all of a sudden the tone changes. It's no longer he and Paul, it's we, and so now Luke is with him. Who knows how many others, but the writer, the person who wrote this, He's traveling along with Paul. Some others, as as we see, are coming and going as they make stops at different places along the way. Two plus years in prison. He's a prisoner going on a ship, being held as a prisoner with other prisoners, cargo, and and sent off. Um, no more than two hours flight from from uh, uh, Israel to to Rome. This is going to take six to eight months for him to get there because of all that goes on. In the next chapter and a half, they stop at a few sites. Um, he starts gaining a little trust from the person who's in charge of him. Um, they're bouncing around, and they're starting to have a little trouble because they've waited too long in the year to travel. 
um, come down to verse 7, when we'd sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty, um, they're having troubles. The waters are getting a little bit too rough. And they're thinking, we need to find some place. This isn't it, but we need to get maybe a little closer, find some place where we can shelter for the winter. And uh, so we come down, and Paul has this, um, God tells him something, and he relays this in verse 10. He advises him, um, verse 10, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Saying this isn't going to end well. We need to stop right here. They don't listen to it. The very next verse says that they that the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman owner owner of the ship. It was money. We got some money to make now. We need to keep moving. Um, we make decisions like that all the time based upon money. And I usually find when I've done that, usually ends up costing more when I make the decision based on money than if I make the decision based upon what God says. Um, we're really good at doing stuff like that as Christians. So, doesn't say God does, but here's what happens. They go against what God says to stay. Paul, he tells Paul, you're going to have loss of your cargo, your ship, maybe lives. You need to stay. Next several verses, verse 14, says, A tempestuous headwind arose. Verse 15, The ship was caught and could not head into the wind, and we let her drive. Um, they're not in control anymore. Um, verse 17, Hearing lest they should run aground, they, want, they wanted to go to, to a nearby island. So they just said they struck sail, and then they were driven. Verse 18, They were exceedingly tempest-tossed, and they lightened the ship. There goes the money. They're losing it already. They're still going. Verse 20. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. A long time that they've been on this ship going from port to port, and God says, you probably need to stay here. And they say, no, we got money. So they go. They've been on this, at this a while. In verse 21, the very start says, but after long abstinence from food. They, they've been going at this. And this is so serious. They're not eating. We'll see in, in another few verses. This, this storm has been driving them for two weeks. And they haven't eaten. That's a serious storm. These are the people run the ship. These are career uh, sailors, and they can't control it. They're not eating. They're worried. Probably very little sleep. Uh, those like me who aren't, don't live on a ship would have been leaning over the side most of the time. Um, down in verse uh, twenty-four. God says um, to Paul, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. That's what he promised in chapter 23. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Paul 
has not only been witnessing, as we can assume, but he does everywhere he goes. He's been praying for the lives of these men. God says, everybody's going to come. They're all going to survive. So Paul tells this to the others. Um, verse 27, when the 14th night had come, and they were driven up and down in the Adriatic. Two weeks, no eating, storm, solid, out of control. They start looking, um, looking for shelter. They get close to an island. They say, let's, let's get in the boats. Let's try to get to the smaller boats. Let's try to get to shore. Maybe we can be saved. And in verse um, 31, Paul said to the centurion the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. He told them not to come. No one wanted to listen to him. Now he's saying, if you want to survive, stay right here. And they listen. His, his consistency, his honesty, his forthrightness, his authority starting to come through. And they're listening. What do you have to say, Paul? And they obey without question. We come to verse 33. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of you. And when he said these things, he took bread. He gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. The storm hasn't stopped. But they're trusting Paul. Trusting his word. Because he knows he's a man of God. They know he's a man of God. And for the first time in two weeks, they eat something. Um, verse 37, and in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they eaten enough, they lightened the ship. There goes the last of it. They threw out the wheat into the sea. They trusted him. They trusted his word. They trusted the word of God. Um, they're basically burning the bridges. I mean, um, my natural tendency would be to say, maybe we need to save some of that just in case we go another couple of weeks. But they're doing what Paul's telling them to do by his testimony. They're not, they're not preparing. They're trusting God entirely. They're not preparing for what if. Um, we heard Ashley this morning. I remember it's been three years ago now that my family went, as many of you remember, uh, to Israel. And uh, we had this process. And we started out, opportunity was presented to us. They asked us to come. And uh, Trish and I started praying. Then we went and we talked to my boss, who was like, I don't know, two months. Let's pray about it. He came back to me and said, um, if God's telling you to go, then I, I can't say you can't go. You need to go. So then I went to the pastor and I started speaking to other men that that um, um, 
I relished their counsel, got a lot of counsel about it, preparing for this trip. One person that I talked to, um, very mission-minded, uh, trust his counsel. He sat and he listened to my story and he said, what's plan B? Okay, that hit me. Plan B? He goes, now where you're at, you have three months. You're going to have to raise $15,000 for six of you to go halfway around the world for two months. My experience, God doesn't always work like that. If he doesn't bring in that money, what's plan B? And so I went back to my wife and I'm like, we have a plan B? And we prayed about it, and we were sure that God was telling us to go. Um, we didn't have a plan B. We didn't make a plan B. We were totally convinced God was leaving. Now, we went through all kinds of things in the few months leading up to it. Another gentleman counseled me said, you need to put out what you need. Let people know. And trust God with it. And don't try to undergird God in case he lets you down. Just trust him. That's where you know he's leaving you. You trust him. We raised $15,200 three months. Our trip cost $15,400 for the, for the six months. I, I can tell you story after story about it, what God did. It was an amazing, amazing experience. But there was no plan B. And they weren't preparing for a plan B. So they throw their food over. They throw all their stores over. Um, they go through the last part quickly. They get shipwrecked. Everybody survives. They get shipwrecked on Malta. You can see the hand of God all over that. He has a ministry. He's there for three months. And at the end of that ministry, um, they take another ship and they head off to Rome. Very first thing that happens within three days of when he's there is Paul calls the Jews, Jewish leaders that are there, and says, Can you come over? And he's staying, they've given him a house to be under house arrest instead of staying in prison. So he meets and greets with these Jews and he starts telling them and he witnesses to them. And here's what he says It's not some unfortunate thing that I'm here for. It's not because I was wrongly in prison. It's not because I made a wrong decision and appealed to Caesar when they were going to let me go. It's not that I've had all these hardships. Verse 20, chapter 28 says, For this reason, therefore, I've called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. This is all God's plan. No regrets, no remorse, no wishing I had done. And they said, okay, we'll gather all the other Jews that are in the city, and we'll come, and you can talk to us. We want to hear more while you're in these chains. So he gets to share the gospel with the Jews. They come to him, and he shares the gospel with them. Verse 24 says, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. 
Some are going to believe, and some will not. It's not our job to win people. It's our job to tell people. And that took me a lot to learn. Because one of the first people that I met when I went over to Israel was a believer who had gone over there. And she started telling me this great story, how she sat next to this Jewish man on a plane, and she was telling him the gospel. She was saying all these things. I was like, yeah, 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 and? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I told him. That's God's hands. She couldn't. They were not willing to make a decision, but she did her job. She told someone. And that's what we need to do. We need to get past the, well, what if I don't win in the soul? It's not about winning. It's about helping. It's about obeying. So Paul speaks to them. Come down to the very end, um, verse 30. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. He spends another two years as a prisoner. Yeah, it's in a house, but he's not allowed to come and go as he pleases. But God's bringing people to him. And he's telling everybody. Everybody comes. We see in one of his letters, that he talks about, and, and the saints in Caesar's house greet you. He's having an impact there in Rome as a prisoner. Continue exactly what God's called him to do. Challenge for each of us. Put on, uh, I think I put it's on your notes. Once you find your God-given purpose in life, do not let anything deter you from pursuing it. The enemy is going to do everything they can to stop you, to discourage you, to make you quit. We have too many Christians that quit before they even start. Um, very famous speech, World War II. England is getting bombarded, and I mean, the place is a wreck. London, the countryside, it's all a mess. There's not much hope. And Winston Churchill makes a speech. He says, We will fight among the highways, byways, we will fight in our streets, we will fight from our homes. But we will never, never, never give in. And that's not the mantra, or the mantra of, of a lot of Christians. We quit. We give up. Paul didn't quit. It's a great example of us. So, I put most of um, what the point of the whole lesson is and how to personalize it. Um, things are going to happen. Tough, out-of-control circumstances come up. Our children get sick. We lose our jobs. Uh, we get sick. Spouses die. Children die. Things happen to be control. We do not let those circumstances control us. We lean on God. We lean on His Word. We don't just live in the only I have. Number two, God is always there and always active whether we see him or not. Um, our response is we seek God. I got a, a good friend from work that we um, don't always agree and butt heads a few times. He's lost his wife and his son in the past year. 
every time he talks, he's saying, I think God is doing this. He's looking for what God's doing. I can go back to some of those, I think God is doing, and say, no, he wasn't doing that. But it doesn't matter. He's always looking for God in what's going on and holding on to what he knows to be true. And that's, that's impressive. That's where we need to be. And lastly, Paul stayed faithful to his calling. And that's what we need to do. We need to be, be faithful to what he's called you to do. Um, maybe he's going to call you to be a missionary. Long term, short term, we don't know. Um, but he's calling you to be faithful. And you can be faithful right now. Nursery, in the choir, Awanas, setting up tables and chairs, doing sound. Be faithful. Never, never, never quit. One last thing. Little strips on. Thank you for letting me share you. Share with you. Got little strips on here. This is for Ashley and her trip that's going. If you want to fill in your name, you want to promise to pray for her. We need to support her, just like you did for me three years ago. We need to support her. Some of you can do so financially. She would like that very much. Some of you can do so through your prayers. She's also an offering a monthly update, and you can get on that and hear what's going on. So um, uh, do that. Pray at your tables. And chairs, stacks of seven when you're done. Thank you.